Amen. Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I have the passage there for you on the outline. If you're new here, you may not know these are brand new custom-made railings. And the only thing I can figure is Pastor Nathan's turning 50 this month, and I think that the deacons thought we need to have these railings up here as the pastoral staff ages. I'm not too far behind, so I thank the deacons for that. But they're beautifully crafted, and they look really uh, nice in this sanctuary. So praise God for those. Uh, We are in Ephesians. This is uh, the book that we've been studying for some time. Today is sermon number 39 on Ephesians. Uh, Lord willing, the series will conclude at sermon number 40 next Sunday. These last two sermons uh, are Paul's parting words the last words of his letter to his beloved Ephesians. Every word matters. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we take our time as we look at verse 21 and verse 22. I'll read down to verse 24, however, so we have the full context of this final farewell that Paul gives to the Ephesians. This is God's holy word, Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father, we approach your word with an anticipation for what you will teach us. Please shape us according to your revealed will by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we come close to finishing Ephesians, May these truths that we have been refreshed with continue to shape our thinking and our actions. Please encourage our hearts by your word this day. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here in these last words of this epistle, we gain some insight about Paul's relationships with other ministers and fellow uh, laborers in the kingdom. We also get a bit of a picture of the the method that he used in his missionary enterprises, missionary enterprises to share the gospel and to see churches built up, to introduce people to how they can be right with God through faith in Christ. And then when those people, by God's grace, lay hold of Christ, uh, they would be gathered and to worship in communities that spread that word even further. And we see this to be the pattern that Paul takes throughout his ministry. He's fond of sending messengers in between the churches that he's just visited or was ministering at to plant a church. He'll send someone back to go talk to the Ephesians or let the Thessalonians know what he's doing, where he is in the journey. Remember, there's no quick way to communicate in the first century. It would take weeks to hear from someone. So these letters were of, they were precious whenever they were received from someone who was missed. Tychicus is one such person mentioned here in this Ephesian report. In verse 22, I have sent him, that's Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, 
that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. These are recent reports that the people are looking forward to to tell them where Paul is now that he's in Rome. We get reports like this on a regular basis as a local church. In March, we heard from the Harris family who minister in Indonesia. Uh, Matt, he, he oversees the maintenance of a small fleet of aircraft that run constantly. And they deliver missionaries and, and materials to places no one else can get to by landing on the sides of these hills and mountains in grassy areas. And he has to make sure all those planes work. His wife is a dynamic discipler of women there. They've been ministering there for almost 20 years, maybe more than that now. And I found interesting as they finally got back after like a six-day trip. They, made, they were made to quarantine for four days and then finally were able to go. And Alyssa said something like, finally we get to go home. Because Indonesia is where her home is. That's where her heart is. That's where the gospel is. That's where she wants to be part of seeing that multiplied. And we get to partner with them by extension. And they come and give us that report. And it certainly brings encouragement to our hearts. Just a few months later, in April, we heard from Kobe and Pam McGinty. These are our partners in ministry in South Africa. They're on, they are frontline evangelists. If you would compare them to something in the New Testament, they would be very much like uh, those original evangelists who went out in the first century where there was not much gospel witness, and they would go to these places and look for any way possible to share Christ with the people there. And there at the University of Cape Town, there's students that come from all over Africa to study there. In fact, all over the world. It is the most uh, prestigious university on the continent. And there they are, kind of these throwback first century uh, evangelistic missionaries sharing with students who then share with their families. They go into other parts of the world and they share Christ there. Kobe told of being invited recently to a wedding of an African tribesman that he had led to Christ. He went to the wedding and found out that the father of this man was the chief of the whole tribe. And they treated him like a first, uh, a top VIP guest because of all that he had done for his son in his life. It was a great report to hear from Kobe when he shared with us just a few months ago that they might encourage our hearts. In May, we were introduced to a new mission. A group of Christian women started what is essentially a pro-life pregnancy ministry in Uganda where there's a very high rate of sexual abuse and abortion. These fierce women, in the name of Christ, openly help women come out of these situations, give them safe places to stay, keep their babies, and then give them training for vocations. What a report that they might encourage our hearts. When we ended the book of Acts a couple years ago, we left Paul in a Roman prison. He had two stints in the Roman prison. He was in for a while, then he was out for a little while, but then he was back in for a final time, we think. It's from one of those prison experiences that he writes to the Ephesians. Paul ministered as a pastor in Ephesus for over two years. That's about as long as he stayed anywhere. So he knew the Ephesian people very well, and they knew him very well. He was like a spiritual leader, a spiritual father to them, a shepherd, a beloved teacher. When he left Ephesus, the church was strong there in Ephesus. It was in good hands. Timothy was a pastor there, among other faithful elders that they had. Remember in Acts 20, he gathered all the elders before he left, and he prayed with them so that they would be ready for all that would come their way as they ministered. Now, Paul, nearing the end of his life, 
in a Roman cell after a long, arduous journey to get to Ephesus, or after his time in Ephesus. He's now there under lock and key, unashamed and unafraid to declare the gospel of Christ, and he has people visiting him. And as they visit him, he gives them instructions and reports to go back to these various churches, bring letters, bring, tell them everything he tells to his friends. Tychicus is one such friend. In fact, some scholars think Tychicus actually is working to be the scribe for Paul while he is in chains. Finally, they get the letter. Look at verse 21. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So he brings the letter, gives it to the leaders at Ephesus, a similar one in Colossae, another one to a man named Philemon, uh, maybe some others along the way. Some think there was a letter given to Laodicea and some other correspondences that Paul had with people. And Tychicus is one of these messengers. And then it says at the end of it, after they read it, because that'd be the first thing they do is get the letter, open it, gather, read it out loud, read it multiple times out loud, start copying it so people in the region can have it. That's how the New Testament um, started to be transmitted. But at the end of it, it says, ask Tychicus for more, basically. And so Tychicus had time with them now to share all that he had seen Paul go through. There's a huge gap from when Paul left Ephesus from what they know now. A couple years. Lots has happened to Paul. Some, many of them wouldn't have known the details. Verse 20, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister, will tell you everything. He'll report on Paul's well-being. So that's one of the reports. How is Paul doing? How is this missionary doing? He'll also report on Paul's ministry activities, how I am and what I'm doing. What's the purpose of such a report? Verse 22, I've sent him for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So they would have knowledge of Paul's well-being, knowledge of what he's doing, and they would be encouraged when they hear it. When they receive the report about what God's doing in the kingdom wider, they would grow in their own personal strength. Not everyone's going to be able to go very far. They'll be ambassadors where they are, and that's very important. That's most of us. But some God will call to go to other places and spread the gospel there, declare Christ there, help in the growth of the church wherever that may be, and then they come and give us reports, and we are all encouraged when we hear what God's doing the globe over. Because when you just focus on one little locale, it can sometimes give you a skewed view of what's actually happening in the kingdom. This is a beautiful picture, beautiful timeless model of these kinds of reports that are given. In fact, what we see on display in this final conclusion to the letter is a bit of Paul's ministry, especially how it's accountable and it's personal. It's very personal and very uh, intentional, connected to people who are partnering with him. His accountable and personal mission approach, really it provides a timeless model for us that should never, ever leave until Christ comes again. We have more means to pass out the information, to be communicating, to be connected. But there's some points here that are just timeless about what we see unfolding in Paul's ministry in his life. I want you to see this in two different ways. First of all, notice Paul and the apostles modeling a certain kind of missions by the way he refers to different individuals who are partners with him. This is a a missions by teams approach. 
It's not an individual approach. It's an approach where teams come together to see the kingdom grow, to advance the kingdom by the preaching of the gospel and by the establishments of churches and discipleship centers that then multiply and have impact on those in the church and those around the churches. That's this team model that we see on display. We'll also notice that regular reports, accountability about what's happening in the kingdom, these are regular features of the church's life and history. And they're encouraging features that we do well to be uh, tied into today and practicing today and participating in today. First, though, look at this team model of missions that's on display as he reveals it in the last verses. In verse 21, he refers to Tychicus, the beloved brother. So there's a a close affinity he has with this man Tychicus. So we can tell uh, this is not Paul on his own. He has people helping him. He calls Tychicus a faithful minister in the Lord. Also in verse 22, you'll notice he alludes to something else. I've sent him, Tychicus, for this purpose that you may know how we are. We are doesn't just mean he and Tychicus. There are others who are with him in Rome coming backward, back and forth. They're not under the same um, imprisonment that he is. We know Dr. Luke came several times to help with Paul, as did Silas and some others that he mentions in other books. So there's a team orientation to the mission area effort that's going on. Tychicus was one of Paul's many ministry partners. Now it's interesting, if you just trace Tychicus a little bit, because he doesn't appear much in the New Testament. Uh, But when he does, though, these are some big endorsing words for sure. But if you would just do a quick uh, perusal of Tychicus, Tychicus in the New Testament, you'll get a picture of this team ministry mindset that Paul has. We are first introduced to Tychicus when Paul was in Ephesus. So there might be a connection. Maybe Tychicus was a convert from Ephesus. We're not told for sure, but he's from Asia. That's what we know. But in Acts 20, after there was a huge riot that ran them out of Ephesus, listen to how Luke describes that occurrence. After the uproar in Ephesus ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed to Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him there by the Jews, and he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. So he's got someone helping him again. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, so two more individuals helping him, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, that's the Timothy of Ephesus, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us in Troas. You see the team around Paul. These are fellow ministers in the gospel. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. We, we, we. This is the ministry the apostles set forth in motion. And they're not all apostles. These are helpers to these apostles. Paul, as I mentioned, had two Roman imprisonments. There was a gap. And in the gap, he wrote to Titus, who was also a pastor of a local church that he helped to plant. In Titus chapter 3, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. You can see these intros and these outros of the books give us a lot. Lots of persons, a lot of people, and a lot of ministry method that comes out of what Paul says in these beginning words and ending words of his epistles. That's what we're studying now. 
He wrote to Timothy, another pastor, do your best to come to me soon. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Remember, Mark is someone that Paul had a bit of a falling out with over a missionary journey. Now he's in prison. He says, Luke is the only one here with me right now. Send Mark. Mark is useful to me. Tychicus, I have already sent to Ephesus, he tells Timothy. So Timothy's in Ephesus. He's telling him, I've sent Tychicus your way. Gives us a little bit of an insight of when the book of Ephesians actually got to Ephesus. In the book of Colossians, he wrote Ephesians and Colossians probably in the same sittings, and they were taken by Tychicus to those two churches. So you would imagine there's some similarity. Listen to what he says to the Colossians about Tychicus and about this team aspect of ministry. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Just a few examples of passages in the New Testament that mention Tychicus, but along with Tychicus, several others. What a low-profile person this Tychicus really is. He's only mentioned in a few verses. Accompanies Paul on this journey, the journey to Rome. A perilous journey, if you remember it. They should have died several times. He stayed in Rome with Paul until Paul sent him to deliver these letters. Maybe even was a scribe for Paul. What a legacy in verse 21. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. But this is about the plurality of people that God brings together to do these missions. Verse 22, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So how many people travel with Paul? Well, we have mentioned just in the time that we've been observing, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Barnabas, Mark, Tychicus, Trophimus, Artemis, Zenus, Onesimus. By the way, ladies, if you're expecting, these are some great names for you to consider. I'm still waiting for a Tychicus. It is not, we've had a Jedediah and a Melchizedek, but we have yet to have a Tychicus. Just make note, Christian mission is always best done in teams. That's what we see on display by Paul and his ministry. There are examples of individuals over the course of church history that went out on their own, like a William Carey, mostly on his own. But those are rarities. The vast majority of the cases that you see in history are when teams of Christians go together on mission. That's the point. That's the way we see it most fruitful. Paul with Barnabas. Paul with John Mark and with Silas and so forth and all these different teams that we have just noted. A missiologist, Matthew Bennett, wrote once, for if the goal of missionary task is planting churches, which is ultimately what we're looking at, then a team approach itself provides a nascent version of the community it envisions. With people with different gifts go together to help plant a church by evangelism and gathering. Um, the start, starting off with a group of people with different gift sets works best to model what the church should then look like as it gets older. It doesn't take after the image of one person, but rather the team together keeps focus on Christ as the church has developed. This has always been our approach at Redeemer to the best of our abilities, as, as feeble as it may be. We think in terms of teams. We support team efforts to plant churches and evangelize. You know, when our presbytery teamed up to plant a church in Manhattan, when Brian Huff, who was our youth pastor at the time, I believe the Lord was calling him to do that work, um, we contributed a pastor and an elder. 
our elder Travis Shanahan and his family and the Huff family decided to move to Manhattan to represent our presbytery in starting a church. It's a great model. It's a, it's a better model than just sending someone out parachute dropping, as they say. When we looked to see a new church started in Lee Summit, we just looked in our midst and who would be willing in our church to go help plant that church and took some time to develop a core group, um, a pastor, and elders, and a deacon. It's just, it goes slower on the onset, but it seems to be better in the long term from a stability standpoint. You see, the church at Ephesus was pretty strong when Paul was writing back to it. That's because there was a solid group of leaders left behind when Paul went on. When you think of the early, or when you think of the different mission trips that we try to be part of, we're trying to engage in ministries that are developing churches. Because when churches are developed in certain places, that's where discipleship occurs internally, and then they can start to have impacts in their local community, more than just going in and going out. So providing teams that support those teams, like in Juarez, one of the first missions we ever engaged in, or in Moldova, where there's a couple pastors that do a lot of work, and we go in teams to help them, encourage them. The Omaha Nation, that was our hope. We still pray for this, that a church could be established on the Omaha Reservation. Now to McAllen, Texas, our team leaves Saturday. They're going to help a new church planting effort along the border with some churches on the United States side, and hopefully to have more develop on the other side of the border. And two of our, not oldest by age necessarily, but the oldest missionaries we have are Dan and Becky Young. We've been supporting them for 21 years. And they are there. And the Craigs, who we've known from years past as well. Again, these are all teams and individuals and groups of people we know and we have developed relationships with. We try to support these kinds of works. Team efforts, that's what you see on display by what Paul does. But I want you to notice something else beyond just the fact of using teams and and pluralities of ministers and missionaries. You also have something that is regularly going on when they're out doing the ministry. There's a regular reporting that happens. It's not meant to be that boring missionary slideshow at night that the kids couldn't stand to go to. Uh, It's way more dynamic than that. It has to do with Um, a dynamic reporting that happens, but yes, it also means when they come personally, face-to-face, flesh and blood, to talk to us and to share with us, and we can encourage them and they encourage us. Verse 21, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus will tell you everything. He'll report on his well-being, he'll report on the ministry activities, verse 21, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. There's a definite plan for these reports. It's to give a, a report on the missionaries personally, but also on what they're doing ministerially, and then also for you to be encouraged when you hear the story, when you hear what's going on, that you be comforted when you hear what's happening. So the reports are for accountability and partnership, and they're also for encouragement. Accountability and partnership as we give towards these things, as we send teams towards those things. There's a two-way responsibility. On the field, the missionaries are doing their best to be faithful. We're upholding them in prayer and by support. And then we try to send teams to be there personally with them at times. And then they, in return, expect that from us, to be there for them, to not just forget about them as we go about our weeks. And that's what Paul, as he's sitting in a prison, wants Tychicus to tell the Ephesians to remember what's going on with him. That'll encourage the Ephesians. That'll encourage them to keep on. They'll send more missionaries, more people to see churches planted. And as the reports come in, the accountability grows, and the partnership becomes more real. There's a sense in which, no, we can't be everywhere at once, but there are people representing us 
who we support that are doing that work, and we have a connection with them. And these kinds of reports certainly would have made the Ephesians feel that way, and I hope they make you feel that way too when we hear these reports back from those who are going out um, as our representatives, if you will. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, I will, Tychicus will tell you everything. The Ephesians and others contributed to Paul's efforts. They loved him. They thought about him regularly. They were waiting and wondering what was happening with him. And so, in verse 21, that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, he'll tell you everything. Tychicus was traveling not only to deliver the letter, but to give them a full mission report. At the end of the book that we've been studying, Ephesians, you remember just before these passages, before we got to these last few verses, Paul had asked for prayer, saying, pray for all the saints everywhere with all supplication, but also please pray for me that I would be bold in gospel proclamation, that he would keep declaring how people can be right with God through Christ, that he wouldn't get distracted by other things. And then I'll send Tychicus for this report. Uh, So you have several things working together. Prayer, correspondence, communication, and visits from the actual missionaries or the, the, those who are doing the ministry. John Stott noticed this, these three different activities that Paul closes the book with, prayer, correspondence, and visits. He says these are still three major means by which Christians and churches can enrich one another and so contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. Now with the communication being so easy, we have no excuse and no reason to not be praying regularly. To really know. It shouldn't just be that the missions elder and pastor know what's happening with Bob Heppy, for instance, or any of the other, or the Vaughn family. Really, everyone in the church, we should know this. The reports are every week in your bulletin, um, and you can go online and see a lot of what the ministries are they're doing. We have various ways for all of us to be engaged. We are at an unprecedented level of information that we can all have. I mean, you should know that Zach Lutz is now the senior pastor of the church that he was just going to be the youth pastor at. That's missions. That's how it works. That's how things, they happen fast out there. I hope we all know that. I hope you know that and are thinking about it and praying for a young family to be in that position. In Puerto Rico, it's not exactly Johnson County. But these, these reports should make us say, oh man, we've got to pray for Zach. That's a tough deal. It is. But God will equip him, and by us being engaged with him, the same way you support us, ministering here, we support others in other places. All of the missionaries that we have fit into the same kind of category of, of having all this information available to us. Let's utilize this and see how encouraging it is both ways. The net result of these personal reports from Tychicus about Paul's ministry, and this is the net result. It encourages everybody that you may know how we are, verse 22, and that he may encourage your hearts. The word encourage here is paraclete parakeleo, which is the same word for comfort. The Holy Spirit's called the paraclete, the comforter. This is the word for encourage here. It has to do with uh, that he may encourage or comfort or uplift or cheer or stir up or invigorate your hearts. John Stott said also his exposition of God's new society in the book of Ephesians, talking about all that the gospel does to transform, that's no mere theological theory. For he and they are members of it themselves. So they must deepen their fellowship with one another by praying for one another, by his letter to them, and through Tychicus, who would both bring them information about Paul and see to encourage them. Every believer is an ambassador for Christ, every one of us. 
but for most people, that will be the same place for most of our lives, or similar places for most of our lives. With occasional trips or forays places, for the most part, your life is lived in a similar kind of locale. That's the norm. But we're to be busy as ambassadors wherever we are. But God will raise up some to go to distant places or cross over cultural lines that are difficult, that the average person wouldn't be able to do. So receiving reports from those who go out to represent us in this way, this will serve to encourage your hearts. You shouldn't feel guilty about not going cross-culturally. You should recognize that's a special calling, cross-culturally. But we should engage in our partnership in all the ways that the church makes available and that you come to know. Tonight, Mohammed Yamut will be here to give us a new report on what's happening in Lebanon. I don't care what you're doing tonight. Well, there may be a couple things. Dialysis. Uh, it ain't going to be better than what Mohammed says. Kicking back with a cold one to get ready for the work week, that's not the way you get invigorated. Come here with the gospel is doing in Lebanon, where a bomb went off and killed hundreds of people, injured thousands of people, left 500,000 people homeless, and we happen to have a partner there who is building churches and Christian schools and reaching out to refugees and is as smiley as you've ever seen someone about it. Whatever depression you're dealing with, if you get out of your recliner and come and listen to what's happening in the world for the gospel, it will, cha- it will encourage your hearts. Not because I said so, because that's the design that God gives for these kinds of reports. There's nothing you're going to be doing tonight that will be better than that. I mean, you could email me four or five, but they've got to start with something like, you know, like a lung transplant, like that kind of a thing. That's what we're talking about. You know, this Saturday, we happen to be, sent, be sending 14 Redeemer and Christ the Redeemer members. We're going to commission that team tonight at our evening gathering. They will be of assistance to two of our missionaries that I mentioned, the Craigs and the Youngs. They're going to go and they're going to see how churches begin. They're going to try to reach out in the community and let people know that these churches are there and want to be ministering to the community. Your church, Redeemer, you've been putting, you've been getting behind this team for a long time. NBA playoffs are not better than that. I'm just telling you they're not. Then next week, Sunday again, in the evening, we have another missionary partner, the Smiths, who will call them because they can't go by their actual name uh, publicly. You'll know who they are when they're here. And they're going to report on an exciting ministry that's happening in the Middle East, another place that can't be named. God is sending them to us with reports of his multiplying grace that they might encourage our hearts. I know that our lives in America are busy. Like in Ephesus, it's not like our lives are so much more busy than theirs. Same with Colossae or Thessalonica. But I promise you that a report from another ministry context is very encouraging to your faith, to your heart. I'm positive of this. It says in verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Whose heart does not need encouraging these days? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the ministry of reconciliation that you have given your people. You've given your church the message of the gospel to declare so clearly to people how their sins may be forgiven and how they may be right with God through faith in Christ. And we carry this individually as ambassadors, as individual believers looking to share this with anyone who we can share it with. As a church, as we reach out in in various more official ways or 
sanction ways to declare this message from this pulpit and through the ministries of the church, but also by partnering with so many who have been called to these uh, far-off regions, these far-off places, where Jesus reigns also. Lord, thank you for this reminder of the importance of personal interaction with these ministries that are happening all across the globe. Lord, we do need encouragement. Uh, We sometimes get focused on our situations. We maybe forget that the blessed Jesus reigns and that your name is being carried across this globe. And you have given us opportunity to participate in the ways that we have been able to. Lord, continue to grant us more such opportunities. Give us hearts that really are bent on seeing Christ made famous the world over. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's turn.